First Friday of the month is called On the Rabbi's Mind Shabbat, and I believe that somewhere there was a notice that went out that said that what was on the Rabbi's mind this week was whether or not Hurricane Sandy was an act of God. But that's not what I'm going to talk about, so I'll just tell you, yes, it was. <laughs> but so is everything else, so that's why it was. That's for another time. I decided that what really was on my mind is the title of one of my favorite country songs that was written by Kenny Chesney, the famous country singer, and the title of my favorite country song is on the cover of this evening's little bulletin. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. What a great line, isn't that the truth? Believer or agnostic, uh, certain about the existence of the afterlife, the olam haba, what Judaism has always called the world to come, or a skeptic, everybody, if they go anywhere, wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. And in its infinite wisdom, the Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that the eye is never filled with seeing and the ear is never filled with hearing. Isn't that the truth? Young or old, there is always just one more sunrise or one more sunset or one more of life's milestones to reach. If only I live to see my child married, if only I can live to see my grandchildren be born, if only I can live to see my grandchildren grow up, have their bar mitzvahs, if only I can celebrate our 50th anniversary, if only, if only, if only, if only. In one Talmudic story, Rav Ashi, the head of the rabbinical academy, is, as the rest of us, not ready to die. He wants to go on living, and so when the angel of death, that's how the Talmud always puts it, when the angel of death comes for him, he says, what's the rush? Come back tomorrow. Or better yet, come back the day after tomorrow, because I have lots and lots of work I still need to do. I have to go over all my studies so that I can enter the world to come, the Olam Abba, with all my learning and everything in order. I've got so much to do, but of course the angel of death says, sorry, it's your time. No matter what you have left to do, there will always be something left to do. And yet there is a, a fundamental truth that somehow in the deepest recesses of our souls, we know for certain that it surely isn't the length of our lives or the number of our days that ultimately determines the value or the meaning of our lives. The psalmist wrote thousands of years ago, Adonai ma'adam v'teda'ehu ben enosh v'techashvehu, adam lahevel dama yamav ver. What are we in the midst of the vast solitudes of the night? We are like a breath. Our days are as shadows that pass away. But in the Jewish tradition, it never ends there with our lives merely thought of as shadows, like those pathetic beings scurrying around in the dark in Plato's cave. Jewish tradition would never stop with nothing but the shadows. Our lives no more meaningful than a breath that dissipates in an instant into nothingness. That very same psalmist can't help but add these words to his anonymous psalm. Vitikash rehu me'at me'elohim v'kavod v'hadar 
to Atrehu, yet you have made us but little lower than the angels and have crowned us with glory and honor. Because Judaism is a spiritual civilization whose fundamental belief about the nature of humanity is that we are here with a purpose, for a reason. We're not mere breath that fades away, but created in the very Tselem Elohim, in the very image of God, living lives of meaning, living lives that matter with purpose. So just what is that purpose? Well, to recall the words from my favorite Spider-Man movie of several years ago, with great power comes great responsibility. We human beings have great power and so we human beings have great responsibility. It's our challenge, it's our opportunity to use that power to bring more holiness into the world every single day by every word that we speak or every life that we touch or every act that we perform in the service of that spirit. I'm sure most of us have heard probably many times the famous Midrash on the creation story in Genesis whereby God walks Adam and Eve around the Garden of Eden and shows them the paradise that God created for human beings to inhabit and then warns them, see, I have created this beautiful bounty and beautiful world. Take heed that you protect it and nurture it and that you guard it with your very lives because if you ignore your responsibility to this paradise that I have created and you destroy this world, there will be no one coming after you to make it right. We should pay paying attention to that Midrash today. So that is what has been on this rabbi's mind this week. Not only this upcoming decision that America will make about the direction we'll take in the next four years on Tuesday by who we elect as president, and not only what that impact, that choice will have really on the next 50 years, I suppose, of American life by the ability of the next president to, of course, appoint the next Supreme Court judges and possibly tip the scales to the direction of taking away a woman's right to choose and some of the crucial freedoms that we have cherished for so long as Americans. But my mind has been occupied mostly this week with issues of life and death itself. Several of our dear congregants, both young and old, are teetering on the brink between life and death, even as we speak, or I speak. Some who have been dear to this congregation for many years are now reaching the end of their lives much, much too soon. And some have already reached that hallowed divide as you hear each week. As we just read the names of the recently departed in the Kaddish list, they have crossed from life to death and the mystery of what comes next, leaving behind the pain of loss and grief that no words, no matter how thoughtful or wise, can ever truly heal. I have sat with them and their families over these past few weeks and I have cried with them, both those who have already lost their loved ones and those who are approaching death with grace and dignity that I watch with awe and the deepest respect. Frankly, most of us don't talk about death very much. Most don't even make their own funeral arrangements in advance or purchase a burial plot or tell their spouses or partners or children what their wishes are for after they're gone. Out of the fear that the very bringing up of the subject itself will somehow cause it to pass prematurely. We ignore death's reality 
as if that somehow might give us the power to keep it from our own doors. Such it is, and frankly, such it has always been with human beings. There's even a famous rabbinic midrash in the Talmud where the angel of death appeared to Rav Sheshet in the marketplace, prepared to take his soul, and Rav Sheshet turns to the angel of death and says, what do you think I am, a horse that I should die here in the street? At least come to my house and take me there with some dignity. And so it is in the Talmud. Sometimes I think we should live in the Talmud. A human being deserves dignity, even or perhaps especially at the time of his or her death. What am I, he said, a horse that I should die in the street? A human being should not die like a beast does. Of course, when I read about the cruel practices of much of the agribusiness industry and how cattle and pigs and sheep and lambs and chickens are kept and caged and killed, I'm not so sure that even animals should die like animals either. But we're not merely animals. We're human beings created with Salam Elohim in the image of God, filled with potential goodness and compassion and tenderness and love, caring and the capacity to touch lives of others so deeply that they are changed forever by what we say or what we do. Ultimately, the question isn't whether we will die, obviously, but rather how we will die. Here again, I think the wisdom of the Talmud captures the true depth of the human heart. What we human beings fear most is not really dying. It's dying in pain or dying in fear or dying alone. The story is told in the Talmud of two very dear friends, Rabbi Nachman and Rava. And as the story is written, Rava was seated at the bedside of Rabbi Nachman at the end of his life, and he saw that his teacher was dying. And Rabbi Nachman said to him, please tell the angel of death not to torment me. And what he was asking was, I know I have to die, but please let my death at least not be painful. Let me go quickly and gently. How many of us have dreamed, when we have had the courage to dream of it at all, of simply lying down to sleep one night at the end of our very long, long lives and quietly, gently, peacefully drifting off forever as the way we want to die? Well, that's a request that we all can understand. Isn't this what all of us would like? To die without pain and without suffering. So this is what Rabbi Nachman asks his student, Rava. Do me a favor, ask the angel of death to let me die quickly and peacefully and gently. To which Rava replies, he doesn't quite understand, he says, but why are you asking me for this favor? Aren't you a, an important person? You're much more important than I am. Don't you outrank me? You know, why don't you ask the angel of death yourself? To which Rabbi Nachman, the wise one who's dying, replies, there is no status before the angel of death. There is no status before the angel of death. Rich or poor, famous or anonymous, a leader with thousands of students or thousands of followers, leaders of the free world or not, a life of quiet anonymity, all the money and things in the world, or homeless on the street, it doesn't matter, all are equal in death. We take nothing with us when we die, and we leave behind everything and everyone. You can't tell the angel of death, treat me with respect for I'm rich or important or treat me with respect because I'm generous, or treat me with respect because I'm brilliant intellect, or have extraordinary talent. At the moment of death, all human beings are simply human beings, utterly equal. And there is no one who can claim special status. 
And so it is, unfortunately, with grief and loss and mourning as well. The measure of our loss and grief has no relation to our status in life. Grief touches everyone equally. It locks us in its grip. It carries us along on its own unique path. Wherever it may go and however long, it holds us most often for the rest of our lives, regardless of rank or status. In the Talmud, Rava then makes a request of Rabbi Nachman as well. He says to him, okay, well then do me a favor. Will you please show yourself to me in a dream after you die? I know lots of people who have asked people that. Rava, like his teacher, like you and I, frankly, like practically everybody I know, would like to know what it's like to die. So he asked his teacher, show yourself to me in a dream after you die, and his teacher agrees. And since it's the Talmud, of course it happens. Sure enough, sometime after he dies, Rabbi Nachman appears to Rava in a dream, and in the dream, Rava asks Rabbi Nachman one of those questions that you know we would all like to know. Did you suffer much pain while you were dying? What does it feel like to go through that experience of death, going from life to death? Did it hurt? And Rabbi Nachman says, no, it didn't hurt at all. It was as gentle as removing a hair from a glass of milk, which is a strange rabbinic image, but that's the image in the Talmud. But frankly, could anything be more gentle and less painful than that? You know, removing a hair from a glass of milk. A little gross, but still gentle. That's what Rabbi Nachman says he felt when his soul departed from his body. But the Talmud then teaches us one more powerful lesson about the nature of human beings and what really matters to us when confronting our own death. Because then Rabbi Nachman, who has died, goes on to tell Rava, nevertheless, even though it was as gentle as lifting a hair from a glass of milk, if God were to say to me, you can go back to the world as you were, I would not want to do so because the fear of death is so great. You see, it isn't actually death itself that torments the human soul. It's the fear of death, that fear that frightens us, the fear of going through pain or degeneration or being out of control or losing our dignity or suffering. That's what we are afraid of, and understandably so. That's why when the Talmud wants to describe the death of Moses or the death of any great righteous tzaddik, the expression that it uses is God took their souls gently with a kiss. The righteous die as if from a divine kiss. And even though Rabbi Nachman's death was painless, he wouldn't want to go through it again because the dread of death is so frightening. It's the fear of the dark, the unknowable moment when we let go and don't yet know what awaits us after we let go that makes death so terrifying. So what do we learn at the end from all this wisdom of the Talmud? Number one, that all human beings die, as if we didn't know that anyway, whether they're scholars or whether they're saints or whether they're scoundrels. And number two, that no one can bribe the angel of death, not with money and not with good deeds and not with anything. And number three, perhaps that we may fear death more than we should. No one can know in advance, but it may be gentler or kinder or more painless than we fear that it might be. For all we know, it may actually be as gentle as lifting a hair out of a glass of milk. Remember what the angel said to Rav Ashi in the Talmud. He said, you have to come with me now, ready or not, because your term as head of the academy is coming to a close and your successor is waiting to begin his term and no two kingdoms can overlap by as much as a minute. The angel of death reminds us that 
No one could live forever. If we did, we would prevent the next generation from having its turn. We need to understand that we are not the main actors in the play, frankly. We are people who play a role and then go off stage to make room for the next scene and the next players in the cosmic drama. It's far, far bigger than any one of us. Contrary to all human nature, we are actually not the center of the universe. We are not the end-all and the be-all. We are of our own lives, of course, but not of life itself. We are people. We are just people. And we live for a while, and we do the best we can. And we have a task to perform, and we do our task as well as we can, or as badly as the case may be. And then we are people who have to let go so that someone else can take our place. If we stay on too long, if we clutch on to our lives longer than we should, we make the world stagnant and we hold back those who are waiting for their turn. So ultimately, the meaning that we discover in life comes as the result of our relationships with others because that's what's left when we leave. Alone, we suffer not only a physical death, but a death of the spirit. Together, we simple, frail, fragile human beings create miracles of the heart. That's why we suffer when loved ones die. That's why the best that any of us can hope for in life is to fulfill the simple but most profound and highest tribute that any of us might achieve in our lives according to Jewish tradition. This is the, the final blessing when loved ones die. And we must hope that it will be true of us as well. Those simple words, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, that the memory of our lives continue in the lives of those we are privileged to touch and privileged to love as a blessing forever.